Welcome to the podcast of Gas Pathways, a platform dedicated to technology and innovation in the natural gas industry. With me today is John Hartley, CEO of Lavidian, a UK tech firm focused on producing low carbon hydrogen and graphene from natural gas. Hi, John. Um, let's start good by... Good morning. Can you introduce to me what turquoise hydrogen is and how does the process that your company is developing work? Sure. So let me start with the, the, the technology and the process. And at its core, what Lavidian do is we take methane as an input uh, and we use a methane plasma process to split that methane into hydrogen and also into graphene. Graphene is a, is a high performing uh, carbon nanomaterial. That's how we lock that carbon away. Turquoise hydrogen um, is, is used to describe really uh, a, a blue hydrogen production method, which is green um, in terms of its environmental footprint. And I think personally, the color coding of hydrogen has helped people understand the different ways that hydrogen can be made. But increasingly, um, I think is causing it, honestly, a bit of confusion and it's getting to be a little bit outdated. So when I think about hydrogen, I think it's more helpful to talk about the carbon footprint of that hydrogen method rather than the color. So for us specifically, for example, if we take our methane from a waste gas source, and most of our customers come from that sector, it might be wastewater facilities or oil and gas facilities which are leaking methane. You can capture that methane, and instead of it going into the atmosphere, you can run it through our loop device and turn it into hydrogen and graphene. That has a, a better than net zero uh, carbon effect. So actually, the carbon footprint can be lower than that of what's called green hydrogen, which is hydrogen that comes from electrolysis of um, of water. So that, in summary, is what our technology does. And while I think turquoise as a, as a label can help people understand broadly where it sits. Actually, I think for us, the carbon footprint of hydrogen produced is, is increasingly more, uh, more relevant. Mm -hmm. um, and can you, make the, can you make the case in terms of the advantages of your technology versus um, the more common ones which are, are being developed, being deployed, being invested in, uh, you know, such as steam, steam reforming of um, methane, yeah. electrolysis. Um, yeah, in terms of cost, in terms of when, where you can do it, in terms of um, what inputs you need. Certainly, absolutely. I'll start by saying I really believe we need a range of hydrogen, different uh, hydrogen production methods. So. I think to get to the net zero future we need to aim for, we can't pick one technology. So I don't want to um, uh, promote ours at the expense of all others. I think all of them are needed in, in or, or some combination of different tech is, is needed. Now, if you, if you look at what we do compared to um, blue hydrogen production or SMR, let me start there. There are other ways that you can split methane and produce hydrogen and uh, either carbon dioxide or carbon. The way that we differ, firstly, is that the way that we capture carbon is in that solid form of graphene. And graphene is an additive that you can add to other materials like concrete, cement, tires, to make them last longer and perform better. So as an example, one of our customers is a tire producer. They make hydrogen on their site and the graphene that it uh, produces 
they can put it into their tires to make them last longer. And actually, three grams of graphene in a six kilogram tire makes the tire last for 40% longer. So you see this huge environmental carbon benefit of actually capturing the carbon in a state of graphene where it can then be, be used. Often when you hear about carbon capture and storage, the carbon is, is produced from the, um, from the process in a gas format or it's carbon dioxide or in a very low quality carbon form. And it's really hard to get rid of it. So people have talked about injecting it into subsea wells for example there's lots of queries about how effective that will be it's quite expensive it might leak in the future and from our perspective there's no need to do that if you can lock the carbon into something that has uh, real value in, in in the form of graphene so that's one key difference between our technology and other ways that people are producing um, hydrogen the other benefit of that is graphene is very valuable it has a high retail value and therefore, being able to monetize that means that the overall cost of hydrogen production is, is lower. Now, um, the way that our process works, and Lividium was formed in 2012 from um, Cambridge University scientists, they really specialized in the nozzle technology and the microarray system that you run the methane through. And the way in which that's configured means that you don't need to add high temperature you don't need a catalyst, you don't need high pressure. And lots of other processes which uh, split methane need those things. So you need to apply temperature, you need to apply pressure, and you need a catalyst, which make them kind of less efficient than ours and also um, more, more costly in terms of how they, in how they run. So I've, I've talked there about really a comparison to blue hydrogen production and, and, and things like um, uh, SMR as well. The, the other comparison you talked about, Joe, was to, to electrolysis, uh, so making uh, hydrogen from, from water. Um, and I think the key difference there is, is one of um, the, the ability to produce hydrogen at the source where it's required. So electrolysis can be a great part of the hydrogen mix for centralized hydrogen production at a large scale. It does need lots of electricity, it does need lots of water, and we need less of those things per unit of production. But crucially, lots of our customers are businesses or our um, gas grids who want hydrogen in a specific place. So to do that through electrolysis, you, you typically have to produce it centrally, compress it, transport it, and then use it at that location. Whereas our loop system, allows you to effectively right size the hydrogen production for the site that it's needed on. So I do think our technology has some inherent differences and advantages to other production methods of hydrogen. But I do think particularly if you look at what has to be done centrally and in a decentralized way, that we will get to our targets only if we have a mix of that, um, of that tech. <laughs> I mean, obviously, it's an it, it's an early stage to discuss this, but how does your technology square up to um, traditional blue and green hydrogen in terms of cost? Yeah, so when you look at a levelized cost of hydrogen production, which is the metric that we normally use to compare things, it considers capital requirements and, and the operating cost for these as well. Um, we are um, 
about the same as something like uh, SMR or steam methane reforming, um, but typically cheaper than methane pyrolysis processes that need a catalyst or need some kind of thermal injection um, and, and lower cost also than water electrolysis. Um, it is hard sometimes to compare things because electricity prices will vary and go up as will gas prices as we've seen recently. But if we use the latest uh, Bayes template, our levelized cost of hydrogen uh, is just above two pounds per kilo. And that puts us roughly in that position compared to those other, um, other sources. And the driver of that is largely that we don't require those big temperatures or pressures. We don't need a big footprint. What we can also overlay on top of that is the fact that graphene has value in and of itself. So actually, if you consider the cost of graphene and you can sell that at the, at the current retail price, you can produce hydrogen as a byproduct at no cost uh, because the graphene effectively will, will, will carry the business case. So when we think about it, without graphene, we're competitive. When you add that on, that can make, make it even more, uh, even more so. In terms of your uh, commercial case, do you think it's fair to describe um, hydrogen as the byproduct and, and kind of the graphene as the main product you're selling, or is it the other way around? That is a great question. It's very hard to, uh, to, to pick one, honestly, because the way that the technology works, it does three things. It decarbonizes gas, makes hydrogen and makes graphene. Now, in different scenarios, any one of those can be the most important thing for that customer, but you can't do one without the other. So that in some ways, there's a great complementarity if you do all of them at the same time, but you can't really pick one. Now, I would say for most of our customers today who want our loop devices, they're interested more in hydrogen and more in gas decarbonization, and graphene is typically the way in which you capture the carbon and helps the business case to stack up. So that's the primary loop driver. Um, so yes, I think that's that's where we see the market, but it's hard to, to, to pick one winner, I think. Mm -hmm. And so you said uh, Lavidium was set up in uh, 2012, right? Um, yeah, can, yeah, that's right. Can you, can you tell me more about your story so far and, and you know work your way to where you are now um, I'm particularly interested to hear about your uh, collaboration with National Grid. Sure, yeah, absolutely. So I talked about the fact that it was set up by some Cambridge scientists as a spin-off from the university in 2012. Its focus mm -hmm. was on the production of graphene and the application of graphene to a range of different materials. So what they spent a lot of time on was R&D to get the nozzle in our loop um, system and the microwave system perfected to make very high quality graphene. And graphene was discovered in 2004 as a product that's gained traction in a range of applications. But that deployment of graphene has been slowed down by two things. One is inconsistent graphene quality. Often graphene is mined from graphite rock and then exfoliated where you strip the sheets off. So you get lots of variation because the rock, the graphite varies in its, um, in its composition. Um, and also cost and scalability, um, often it's very expensive. So um, our scientists really focused on making a continuous process where the graphene is always the same, 
and making sure that because you can scale by using gas in from lots of waste sources that you can drive the cost down. So um, the company got uh, a lot of investment in from 2012 to, to 2018 to really specialize in that production process. Um, we then had a, a new investor in 2020 who saw that actually the application of the technology could be applied outside of our Cambridge facility. And if you built loop devices which you could move around and put on sources of, of waste gas or hydrogen demand, that you could create effectively a new arm of the business, which is a decarbonisation and hydrogen production service. So that investor came along at the end of um, 2020 and spent the last 18 months building our loop devices in a, a modular way so that they can be rolled out and also building a management team who have come from an energy background, including myself. I, I've spent my career in the, the low carbon energy space. So, so that's that's the journey that we're currently on. We have a, a customer pipeline for loop devices, which is bigger than we are currently have the capacity to serve. So that's a nice problem to have for a business, but we've got, um, a range of different people from, I talked about wastewater companies, so they've got um, waste methane that they want to capture and turn into hydrogen and graphene. We have industrial players who want to decarbonize their gas. We've got oil and gas facilities that don't want to be flaring their, their methane, they want to be using it. Um, and we've also got people like National Grid, so gas grid operators who want to help lower the carbon footprint of the gas that they transport and make their pipeline robust. So the work we're doing with National Grid is is really exciting because it it uh, places it, it it extracts the carbon from their gas grid system through a loop device, and then that carbon it we're working on a project to coat their pipelines with the graphene so that those pipelines are stronger, more corrosion resistant. And as you increase the amount of hydrogen in the gas network, one of the issues you will get is hydrogen embrittlement where the hydrogen molecules, because of their small size, get into the fabric of the steel pipelines and can cause cracks. Because graphene is very, very strong and impenetrable, if you can coat that steel pipeline with graphene, that hydrogen embrittlement problem will, will go away. So that's the really nice circular economy benefit of the national grid work is you are actually taking carbon from the gas network and decarbonizing it. And the carbon in the form of graphene can then be coated on the inside of the pipeline to enable them to take even more hydrogen over time. So that's a really exciting project for us, both because it shows the two parts of our business of hydrogen and gas decarbonisation and graphene working together, and also that it's hugely scalable. Just think about all of the, um, uh, the gas that we have from uh, our sewage to our uh, waste disposal facilities to our oil and gas fields, and um, that there's a lot of gas out there that we need to to decarbonize. So yeah, that's a long, long answer, Joe, to your question, but that's the, uh, that's a brief, a brief summary of the, of the company. I think where, where we are at the moment, I talked about that capacity constraint we have and the demand that we've got. So we are really ramping up our team size, our production facility. We are raising new investment this year to fund the next stage of growth. And that growth is all about taking the kind of proven leap technology and scaling it up outside of our facility by deploying it onto more sites and building our, our team up behind that. So yeah, it's a, certainly an exciting time, but lots of, uh, lots of demand at the moment. 
Yeah, it, it sounds like there's a really good, good, strong synergy between your two products, and um, uh, also, as you said, a, a good problem to have. But you you have more demand than you can you can keep up with. Um, what where do you see the company in five years' time? You know, what 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 are your ambitions for the next few years? Yeah, so we we really see a future which is powered by hydrogen, built on graphene. So the powered by hydrogen side, we see a network of loop devices from gigaloop scale um, facilities, which are serving gas grids or serving huge sources of waste gas um, decarbonisation to smaller industrial units, which are all connected up together. So imagine you kind of came um, down from a bird's eye view, you'd have this network of loop devices, which were providing that decarbonisation hydrogen and then the graphene that they produced, we see being embedded in a range of everyday materials from concrete and cement to tyres to electronics. It's, um, uh, it's, I talked about tyres earlier as an example of how you can make them last longer. Concrete and cement is another great example that 8% of global emissions are just from making those products. And if you add graphene to them, you can make them 20 to 40% stronger. So you therefore need less volume for the same structural benefit. So there's a huge opportunity to really decarbonize those hard to decarbonize sectors. Now, graphene is already in the world. It's in the A1 motorway. If you drive up um, the east coast of, the, of, uh, of England, it's in Ford cars. It was in a, a gold medalist stone from the Olympics who won a, an archery medal for it. Uh, so it is it is increasingly prevalent, but we see in five years mass adoption in some of those large use sectors like concrete or tyres really being uh, picked up. So so that's the future that we envisage. It's really large scale hydrogen gas decarbonisation through the loop, and then the graphene that comes from that being embedded in a huge huge range of products to make them perform better and make them more uh, more sustainable. And how supportive have you found um, government policies? So the government um, uh, has, a has a hydrogen strategy in place. Um, you saw this week they've uh, doubled their ambitions for hydrogen production. But are, are the right policies um, in place to support this ambition? And yeah, what what further steps to, does the government need to take to to really kickstart? Um, your type of hydrogen, but you know, green and blue as well. Yes, yeah, so we've had some good en engagement with them uh, on the on the policy side. I think it's good for us that government get understand the importance of hydrogen to decarbonise those hard to decarbonise sectors. So, an increasing of the target of hydrogen volume by 2030, we really welcome that. I think. Like to see is a level playing field of different hydrogen production methods based on their carbon impact, and something that the um, strategy yesterday talked about was a certain allocation of the target towards green hydrogen or hydrogen that comes from water electrolysis. And from our perspective, more important than picking a colour should be driving everyone to the lowest carbon footprint so that that's really important what we don't want to do is to create artificial buckets of oh it's easier for you to get your project approved if you tick a certain color box it should be easier to get your project approved 
if you have a lower carbon footprint, regardless of what colour category that, that that is in, and and that's really important. So for us, what government can do is to set clear targets with financial incentives to help you to get there, which I think they're doing, and mm. not to add on an artificial construct which excludes some some technology, which I think is more of a um, it, it's more of a work in progress. There has been through people like Bayes or Innovate UK some funding to do R&D. I think that's always helpful, um, but I think long term it's the clarity of the investment landscape um, and, and making sure we don't exclude low carbon technology that's the most important, I think. Well, I wish Lavidian all the, all the luck for the future and uh, do you have any final words for our viewers? I think just to say it's, it, it's a really exciting time for this industry and for this particular desire to decarbonize the things which currently use gas today. So you know, if you are a, a, a big user of gas for your heating or for your power hungry processes, it has been much more difficult to decarbonize that than it has been if you're reliant on electricity, uh, for example, over the last few years. And the progress we've made in the UK on electricity decarbonization, I think we're going to see that replicated for more of the heavy transportation and more of the heavy industry areas and hydrogen is really going to help. Uh, I think uh, that's really the message. I think for those of you listening and watching who are involved in um, in that space, it's going to be a really exciting time. And, uh, no, a pleasure to talk about it with you. This has been the podcast of Gas Pathways, a platform dedicated to technology and innovation in the natural gas industry. Thank you and see you next time.